Now, this morning we want to focus our attention on the unchangeableness of God. We live in a world of tremendous change, but the one constant that we have is that God does not change. And so I invite you to take your Bibles, please. Turn with me to Psalm 102. Uh, Tina has already read some of this, but I think bears repeating. Uh, Psalm 102, beginning at verse 23, and we will read through the end of verse 28. Will you please stand in honor of the Word of God, and let's follow along as I read. In the course of my life, he broke my strength. He cut short my days. I said, do not take me away, O my God. In the midst of my days, your years go on through all generations. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same. And your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. One of the great <clears throat> truths that we can pass on to our kids and to our grandkids is that the God that we serve is a God who does not change. And though we live in an environment that is constantly changing, there's turbulence all around us, the one who does not change is the living God. And we can put our confidence in him and know that he'll never fail us. He'll never, ever let us down. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do love you and we thank you for the privilege of being able to call upon your name today to worship you, to delight in you. Lord, that's what you've called us today to do, to just simply delight in who you are, to rest in your faithfulness, to proclaim your goodness, uh, your mercy, your faithfulness from generation to generation. Lord, you are the same God. You are the one that we can always put our trust in and never be disappointed. Uh, people, circumstances, things beyond our control always leave us a bit bewildered at times, but you never do. And so we're thankful that we can put our confidence in what you did for us at the cross and sending your Son to be our Savior, our Lord. And Lord, though you cannot change, we can. We can change. And we can become more like you. And so speak to our hearts, I pray, in these moments. We'll give you much praise and thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> change is an inevitable experience in life change is something that uh, whether or not we want to recognize it it is all around us 500 years before Jesus was born there was a Greek philosopher by the name of Heraclitus and he proclaimed that change is the essence of all things in fact the moment something is created, it begins to break up. And Heraclitus made the statement that there is nothing, quote, nothing permanent except change. Nothing permanent except change. 
Now, all of us live in an environment of change. There are some who are advocates of change. There are some who tolerate change. There are others that fight change. And there are others that basically only feel the effects of change. And when they feel the effects, sometimes they don't have a good response. But all of us are touched by the changing currents in life. Uh, some are what we would call early adapters to change. Uh, some get on board a little bit later, and some never do. Uh, they are convinced that uh, what they're doing is correct, and they are not going to change. In fact, there are many churches today in America that have refused to change, and they have died a slow death simply because they are unwilling to change. Not their focus, not their message, but sometimes we need to change our methodology to reach a new generation for the kingdom. When the Model T came out, the crank was considered to be innovative. In today's world, it's the computer and the internet tech technology in our cars. In fact, if you buy a new car today, it takes you a whole day or two just to figure out what button to push and, and to make sure it doesn't throw everything else out of whack. Uh, today, we are living in some increasingly uh, challenging tech times. And uh, you know what was innovative back a few years back uh, is not innovative today. And trust me, uh, the computer and the internet, uh, that's, that's going to go by the wayside as well. Nothing remains permanent. It's always in a state of change. Lifestyles have changed. I remember when Coke meant pop or soda, when gay meant happy, when bad meant bad, not good, and when speed meant fast, when drag meant race. I remember those days. But this has all changed. Our vocabulary is changing. And now we're wanting to change things that have been written by authors in the past, change the wording, change the text. We live in a constant world of change. Increased mobility has caused great change to come to neighborhoods. I recently read of a man from Brooklyn who had his name changed from Kelly to Feinberg. And a year later, he had it changed from Feinberg to Garibaldi. You trying to make this court look foolish, the judge thundered. No, not at all, a man replied. My neighborhood keeps changing. We live in a world of change. COVID has changed our lives forever. During that period of time, many lost their jobs, had to retool for a new job, had to start all over. There were home foreclosures and health issues, diminished investments. It's impacted all of us. All of us have been involved in all of the turbulence of change that has come upon us because of events many times outside of our control, but oftentimes there are events that we can control. We just don't know how to respond to them in a positive way. But in the midst of all these changes, the one who does not change is God. He cannot change. In fact, God is incapable of change. Change involves moving from one state to another. It implies boundaries and limitations. 
but God cannot change. When we think of change, we think of changing for the better or for the worse, changing from maturity to immaturity or immaturity to maturity. But God, because he is who he is, cannot move in any of these directions. If he did, he would violate all of his perfections. God cannot change for the better because he is the embodiment of holiness. He cannot change for the worse because that would imply imperfection in his character, and that is something God is not. A.W. Tozer put it this way in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, quote, All that God is, he has always been, and all that he has been and is, he ever will be. Nothing that God has ever said about himself will be modified. Nothing the inspired prophets and apostles have said about him will be rescinded. His unchangeableness guarantees this. Unfortunately, there are those who dispute that conclusion. They're part of a spiritual movement known as process theology that says that God evolves along with man. In the words of one process theologian from Temple University, quote, if God doesn't change, we're in danger of losing God. If you believe in an eternal, unchanging God, you will be in trouble, unquote. Well, I, for one, do not align myself, neither does East Bay Calvary align ourselves with the process theologians. We are committed to the propositional truth as found in the Word of God, that God is God and He never, ever changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can take that to the bank. He is a God who is changeless. Now, there are some interesting things in the Word of God that demonstrate this truth. First of all, we discover in God's Word that God's nature doesn't change. Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God always was, he always will be. And this is repeated in this text that we're going to dig into in just a few moments. Psalm 102, 25 and 27. In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing you will change them and they will be discarded. But you remain the same and your years have no end. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews in the New Testament says that Christ himself is a priest forever by the power of an indestructible life. So God's nature does not change. Number two, God's word does not change. You see this in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. All men are like grass and all their glories like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall. Because the breath of the Lord blows on them, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the foul flowers fall, but notice, the word of our God stands forever. This book is truth. In fact, it's sad today that now there is a movement going on in some of our states to rule out the Bible, to cancel the Bible. It's unbelievable what's happening in our world today. Our whole nation was founded upon the scriptures. And now we have those who think there's inappropriate things said in the Bible and therefore it should be banned. 
from our libraries and from our uh, courthouses, etc. But God's word stands forever. This book, the promises in this book are as good as gold. These are promises that stand the test of time. The assailants have come and gone, but my friend, this book abides. This is a book that you can build your life upon. It is a roadmap for living. God's word is not some ancient relic from the past. It is something reliable. It is something that you can trust. It is something that we need to hide in our hearts so we would not sin against him. Number three, God's ways do not change. He's not more fair or less fair with us. He's always fair with us. He's not more loving or less loving in his relationship to us. He's always loving. His ways are way above our ways. You see this in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, God deals with us consistently. <clears throat> he causes his rain <clears throat> and his sun to shine on both the righteous and the unrighteous. His loving kindness is unchangeable. To the people of Israel who have abandoned him and are about to be judged because of their disobedience, he explains through his servant Isaiah in Isaiah 40 or 54 and verse 10, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts. That's why we need to fill our mind with this truth because this book contains God's thoughts. This book contains God's ways. And we need to fill our minds with this truth. This is our authority. We must be under the authority of this book. This book is what we need to go to the wall for. And then number four, God's purposes do not change. Psalm 33 and verse 11. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. You stop and think about this. God's never needed to change his plan. He never needs a plan B. Because he has complete knowledge, no emergency takes him off guard. He is someone who is always in control. Nothing with God is accidental, as Longfellow put it. Well, if God's purposes do not change, how do you correlate that with some of the passages in Scripture? For example, in the book of Jonah, when it says that God relents, he doesn't judge Nineveh. He spares Nineveh, even though he had said that they were going to be wiped out. But remember, the people of Nineveh are the ones that change. And God responds to their change by saying, okay, I'm not going to do what I said I was going to do. God in his person does not change. He responds to the changes that people make when they respond in obedience to his commands and to his will. And so God's purposes are always yea and amen. And then number five, God's son, Jesus Christ, never changes. Hebrews 13 and verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same 
yesterday, today, and forever. He is someone that we can always count upon. Now, this passage that we want to look at this morning is a messianic psalm. And it looks forward to the time when the Messiah would come and bring spiritual healing and health to the individuals and people of, the, of nations. It's a psalm that clearly differentiates between the transitory nature of man and the unchangeable nature of God that does not change. In a word, you could put it this way. The key theme in this passage is that the psalmist contrasts the passing with the permanent. He talks to us about things that are going to pass away, and then he talks to us about the permanence of God, that he is an unchangeable one. He lasts forever. Now, there are three, three truths that become very crystal clear to us uh, as we dig into this passage. First of all, we discover that God's name is unchanging. You'll notice the, the title of this psalm. Most of us don't pay any attention to the title of the psalms, but notice the title before we get into the text. This is a prayer of an afflicted man when he is faint and pours out his lament or pours out his complaint before God. Now, as you go into these first 11 verses, keep your nose in the scripture. The psalmist is pouring out his heart to God. He is bearing his soul to God. Notice in verses 1 and 2, he is desperate for God. He said, let me cry for help, for help comes to, for my help comes to you. Do not hide your face from me when I'm in distress. Here is the psalmist pleading He's in distress, and he's desperate for God. In verses 3 and 4, notice the text. He's weary, and he's worn. In fact, in verses 4 and 5, he neglects his body. He forgets to eat. In fact, in verses 6 and 7, he resembles a desert owl in the wilderness and a lonely sparrow on a housetop. Can you think of anything more desolate than a desert owl all by himself in the desert, and a, a bird perched on a rooftop. He feels absolutely alone. He's in distress. He's not been eating. He's not been taking care of himself. In verse 7, notice he can't even sleep. He says, I can't sleep. And the enemies have been having a field day afflicting him. In verses 8 and 9, my enemies are, are, are coming against me, and they... They are speaking against me. They rail against me, verse 8. Use my name as a curse. Uh, they mingle my drink with tears. Uh, in fact, in verse 10, notice, it feels as if God's even cast him aside. He feels like God doesn't want anything to do with him. Here is the psalmist in deep distress, and he's pouring out this lament to God. And in the midst of all of this, he discovers something about God that he hadn't known before, and you see that in verse 12. Notice the text, but you. Put a circle around, but you, because this indicates a complete change in his thinking. But you, O Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. Now, 
In the first 11 verses, he's just bearing his soul to God. He is just, he's, he, he's just laying it all out to God. He's being brutally honest. I believe that's how we need to pray. We need to be brutally honest with God when we're going through these kinds of things that we don't understand. Obviously, he, he doesn't know why all these things are happening. He doesn't understand why he can't eat and why he can't sleep. He doesn't understand any of this. But he just, he just lays it all out and he says, God, I need you. And that's how we need to pray. We need to pray openly and honestly with God and tell him exactly what is on our mind. Now, we're not telling him anything he doesn't know, but it's really important for us to be that brutally honest with him in our prayers. And as he unloads on God, he begins to get a new picture of who God is. But you, verse 12, O Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. In other words, God's name, his renown, is unchanging. Psalm 135, 13, your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown through all generations. And the fact that God's name is unchanging and lasts forever gives the psalmist insight into how God is going to help him as he takes him through these challenging times that he is experiencing in his life. And the fact that God <clears throat> responds to him this way, uh, we see this marvelous truth again in the life of, of uh, uh, Moses as God speaks to him out of the burning bush. It's very interesting that God oftentimes makes himself known supernaturally uh, and in cases where uh, God's leaders and God's people need to have a fresh touch from the living God. Now, if you'll turn over to Exodus chapter 3 and look at verse 13, Moses, God is speaking to Moses out of the burning bush. And Moses says to God, as God is speaking to him in Exodus 3 and verse 13, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is your name? What shall I say to them? What should I say? He's asking God to reveal something to him about his nature that can give credence credence to what he's going to be saying to the people when they ask him that question. And in verse 14, God answers Moses out of the burning bush, I am who I am. This is who you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Now, the name I am is the verb form of the Hebrew word Yahweh or Jehovah. It is a word that describes God as the self-existing one without beginning or ending, that he is self-sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, and fulfilling his purposes. He doesn't reveal to him his, the name Elohim, which is the name of the great creator God, but no, this is Yahweh, this is Jehovah, or the Lord, that whenever you see the Lord in capital letters in your Bible, it is speaking of Jehovah or Yahweh, this covenant-keeping God, this God who is going to uh, help us 
in our time of need. He's not remote. He's not distant from us. Jehovah, the great I am, is not only the personal God, but he's the God of salvation. And he's the God that promised to Abraham the land of Canaan and brought the prospect of deliverance for all of us by sending the God-man, Jesus Christ, into the world to purchase our salvation. Remember what Jesus said before Abraham was what? I am, I am, I am, I am Jehovah God, I am Jehovah, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, the God who is self-sufficient, eternal, and unchangeable in all my ways. And so that is what gives Moses the confidence that he can speak directly to Pharaoh and let them know that he's not just talking to them, but that the God who is Jehovah, the one who delivers his people from distress, he is the one who is speaking uh, on behalf of his people. And so when God calls us to a task, he never leaves us alone. When God asks us to do something difficult, he pledges his nature to us. I don't know about you, but there are times uh, when I feel very inadequate, incapable of fulfilling the leading, the direction that God has made known. And I think all of us identify with Moses. I don't know if I can do this unless I'm aware that I have your presence with me. I don't think I can take another step I can't do one other thing until I am aware that you, the great I am, are with me, the all-sufficient one. And when we have an awareness that the all-sufficient one is with us, then we can proceed in the strength of his power. You see, it is God that enables us to accomplish tasks that from a human standpoint are way beyond our ability to do on our own. Now, look back again at verse 12 of the psalmist. O Lord, you sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. Once he becomes aware that the great I am is with him, and as the psalmist reflects upon all that he has been learning about this one who is the embodiment of everything good. Notice he gets a fresh outlook on God. Instead of God being remote, instead of God being far removed from him, notice in verse 13 how the mood all changes. He says, you will arise and have compassion in Zion. It is now time to show favor to her. Notice he goes on to say, the nations will fear the name of the Lord. They will reverence the name of the Lord. The kings of earth will revere your glory. In verse 17, he understands that, notice, God will respond to the prayers of the destitute. He's destitute. Now, instead of just crying out to God, he says, God, I have the confidence that you're going to answer my prayer. He will not despise their plea. And in verse 18, this will be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. In other words, he looks forward to the time when not only is he delivered from his distress, but his children and her children's children will be delivered from distress because God is full of compassion. He answers prayer. He is God who understands the needs 
of his people. When the nasty here and now squeezes in on us, a sense of God's personal presence is what we need more than anything else. And so the psalmist here is so thankful that God's name is unchanging and there is power in the name of the Lord. There is great power. Number two, God's years are unending. His name is unchanging. His years are unending. Notice again verse 24, your years go on through all generations. We as humans, we live for one generation and pass off the scene, a new generation comes. But God's years, they go on through all generations. He is eternal. In other words, God always was, he always will be. His years are unending. He didn't have a point of beginning and God has no point of ending. Again, this is in total contrast to his creation. We have a beginning, we have an ending, not so with God. And so here in Psalm 102, 25 and 26, the psalmist tells us that the earth and the heavens, the most stable aspects of God's creation, do not have the possibility of perishing. Notice what the text says, they will perish. He says in verse 26, they will perish, but you remain. In other words, he is saying that everything in this life is temporal. It does not last forever. In fact, just stop and think about it. Everything that God has created, stop and think of all the beauty and everything else. One day, all of this beauty, everything is going to perish. The work that he did on creation will perish. Not in the sense of totally being annihilated or destroyed, but in the sense of being radically redeemed and purified. And this, of course, is looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth, which are future realities for those of us who personally know and love the Lord Jesus. In Isaiah 65, verses 17 and 18, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth, the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people to be a joy. That word create is the very same word that is translated in the Hebrew create in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a word that speaks of effortlessness and points toward the production of something fundamentally new. In other words, the power that created all the beauty and everything around us that we enjoy, that same power is going to recreate the new heavens and the new earth in such a way that the old, which we've been familiar with, will be gone forever, and we will not wish to go back to the old because the new is something that is so beyond anything we could ever imagine. And since this earth is not eternal, this is the point. This earth is not eternal. We think that the earth is going to last forever. The earth is not eternal. It will pass away. It will perish. But God himself remains the same. 
Just stop and think about all this. All the things that man has created, all everything that we, we uh, have put our trust in, one of these days is all going to be gone. Our world is permeated with things that will not last forever. In fact, I've come to the conclusion that all this talk about artificial intelligence, one of these days, artificial intelligence will pass away. It will not last. It will not. But God stands forever. His truth is eternal. And that's why we cannot put our trust in things in this world. Things in this world will pass away. But God's word and God's son and God's commitment to his promise to us, it never will pass away. And then lastly, God's character is unfailing. You see this again in verse 27, but you remain the same and your years will never end. Interesting passage in the New Testament that parallels this in James chapter 1 and verse 17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Notice, who does not change like shifting shadows. God's character is constant. It does not fluctuate. And this realization that God's character does not change is the bridge is, is, is what bridges the gap between what God did then and what God is doing now. I don't know about you, but there are oftentimes, as I read the scriptures, about the mighty exploits that God did. I think of the incredible things he did for Abraham and for Noah and Moses and David. And, I mean, incredible things that God did in their lives. You read about how he delivers Jonah from the jaws of a great fish. How he delivers Daniel from the den of lions. How he smashes the walls of Jericho. You read how God opened prison doors and no one escaped. And the message of the gospel came through. We read about all these incredible exploits that God has done in the past and we're tempted to think this way. Well, that's the way God operated back then. He couldn't possibly do that now. And unfortunately, when we read the scriptures, God can become very remote and far removed from the actions of our lives. But as I have been reading and meditating on this passage, I've discovered how wrong I've been. When I've conceived God to be remote and far removed from me, when I'm facing things that are beyond my human abilities, I've lost sight of God's unchangeable nature. When I see the results of racism and anarchy and all of the unrest in our cities taking place in America, and I think, why isn't God intervening? Why is righteous living not prevailing? Then I've lost sight of who God is. When I think that God cannot possibly help me in a situation that I'm in and I don't know which way to turn, 
I've unfortunately put God in a box of my own making. That as I focused on the fact that God doesn't change, that his name is unchanging, that his character is unfailing, and that his years are unending, it's renewed my confidence in him. Nothing is too hard. Nothing is impossible for our great God. He doesn't favor Abraham, Noah, Moses, David more than he values me. What he did for them, he wants to do for each one of us. We cannot get into a situation where we are thinking that, no, only God did that for them. He's incapable of doing that for me now. You see, I'm convinced that as God worked wonders in the lives of the patriarchs, he preserved them through all kinds of difficult encounters. He worked in their lives in ways that only he could work. Let me tell you, when the enemy comes in like a flood and seeks to discourage us, our unchanging God is right by our side. And this reawakening to the unchangeable character of God causes us to realize that God's not moody. He's not baffled by things that happen to us that are unexpected. He's not biased. He's not prejudiced. His attitude toward us doesn't fluctuate, doesn't change because of the circumstances. God's character isn't fickle. God is one who is absolutely true and reliable. And because of this, I don't need to impress God with who I am or wonder whether or not he's looking after me. I don't need to waste a moment worrying over things that are beyond my ability. He's with me every moment of every day. If people misrepresent me and don't accept me, that's not going to wipe me out. God is right by my side. His character doesn't change, though people and circumstances around me are changing all the time. He's going to continue to raise up his servants and that for generations to come, the unchangeable nature of his being will be made known. And that's the promise in verse 28. Their descendants will be established before you. Friends, God is an unchanging God. His name is unchanging. His years are unending. His character is unfailing. On the other hand, we as human beings created in the image of God, we can change. We are born into a world of sin. We are all born with a sinful nature. We are separated from God. But God in his love has sent Jesus so that we could experience a life change. And once we put our faith and our trust in the living God, he changes us. And he does so in ways that are beyond many times our total understanding. Every single one of us has the power to make a choice. We can change or we can refuse to change. 
we can respond to the living God and allow him to change us, or we can choose not to change. But I'm convinced that as the people of God, as we respond to what Christ has done for us, and we realize that God has pledged himself to us, when the Holy Spirit nudges us to change, to maybe look at things a little bit differently, to take a good hard look at ourselves, instead of looking at others, to look at ourselves, to ask God to do a change in us. That is when God begins to make himself known to us in ways we've never, ever known before. And so this morning as we wrap this up, I want to just leave you with this one thought, and that is this. God cannot change, but we can. The Bible says one of these days, all of us will be changed in the moment in a twinkling of an eye. How will we be changed? We will be changed into his likeness. I don't know about you, but I can hardly wait for that moment. Let's stand together, shall we please, for prayer. Father in heaven, we do love you, we do adore you, we worship you, we praise you. You are great and greatly to be praised. You are the unchanging one. You are eternal. Your ways are higher than our ways. Lord, help us to live with an awareness that we live in a very temporal world that is passing away. Every day, it passes away a little bit more. But you are permanent. You last. You will remain forever. And so, Lord, help us to keep our eyes upon you, to follow you, to walk in obedience to you, and help us, Lord Jesus, when you nudge us to change, whether it's an attitude, an action, a perspective, or maybe we just need to surrender to you and say, Lord, take all there is of me. I am yours. Whatever change needs to happen in our lives today, Lord, help us to do it because we love you and we recognize you as the unchanging God. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray, amen.